0: When I was a freshman in college, I lived in Jackson, Mississippi. I went to Millsaps College, if any of you are familiar with that, small liberal arts school, uh, Methodist school. But uh, I lived in Jackson during one of the worst hailstorms in American history. Uh, It was terrible. Uh, In fact, if you Google worst hailstorms ever, this one pops up. Uh, So needless to say, March uh, 18th, 2013 is still a day that many in that area still remember. Uh, These are actual photos from that storm, not just random hail photos that I found on Google, although I do that a lot. But these are actually from that storm. Uh, As you can see, the hail is huge. The largest that was measured from this storm was over five inches in diameter, which is larger than a softball. Uh, Well, during the storm, my car was sitting in my dorm parking lot. Some of the other students had been wise enough to move their cars underneath covering Uh, But I had a late class that day, and so I wasn't able to do it in time. And so my car got beat up pretty badly. Uh, I had tiny little divots all over my car, and my windshield got smashed up pretty good. Uh, I tried to find a picture of my car and of my windshield, but I couldn't. Uh, But just so you can get an idea, this is what my windshield looked like. Uh, Mine might have been like a little bit worse than this, but that's, that's about accurate. Well, anyway, this was... Like I said, March 18th, and so I was supposed to go home for spring break the next week, back to East Texas, where I'm from. I'm from Tyler. And I was really looking forward to going home. I was so excited to see my friends from high school. Uh, I was really looking forward to eating at my favorite restaurants uh, back home. Uh, But here's the problem. I knew that if my parents found out the shape of my car, what condition my car, and specifically my windshield was in, they might not let me drive home until it was fixed. But there was literally thousands of people in Jackson with this same damage, and so I knew I would never be able to get it fixed in time. And I didn't want to be alone on spring break, and, so, uh, and I didn't want to be delayed getting home, and so I just drove home. Uh, I drove like 350 miles, like five and a half hours, with my windshield kind of shaking a little bit. Um, <laughs> I did have like a, uh, an area about this big on the driver's side that I could see through. Now I know that this was not a smart move. I also learned later, not a legal move either. <laughs> Definitely a crime. But, uh, but I got home and I pulled into the driveway and I will never forget the way my parents looked. They were not happy and shocked. Uh, Cause I had sold it as, yeah, we had some like heavy rain but it's fine. Um, Anyway, uh, why did I do this? Why would anyone do this? I did it because I was in a hurry. I wanted to get home. I wanted to hang out with my friends. I wanted to get some queso and some tacos at Don Juan's on the Square in Tyler, Texas, the greatest Mexican restaurant on the planet. I was in a hurry, and so I put myself in harm's way because of it. And you know what? That's the reality of hurry in our lives. We get so focused on our goals, we get so focused on what we want, that we put ourselves at risk of harm. We put ourselves at at risk of burnout, at risk of exhaustion. And that's really the warning and the heart of this book that we've uh, been covering, that we will be covering for for the month of May, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Uh, the author we talked about this a little bit last week, but the author is a guy named John Mark Comer. And he wrote this book because he found himself in that same place. His church was exploding. The growth was uh, substantial. And, and so he was working like crazy. He was, he was doing everything he could. Uh, he, was, he was trying to write books and create new ministries and hire a bigger staff. And he was working and working. And eventually he burnt out. He, he had nothing left. He was in such a hurry that it harmed him. And so he wrote this book because he was at the point where he was thinking about quitting ministry altogether. And that is unfortunately pretty common these days. Barner Research uh, found that in 2022, 42% of pastors considered leaving ministry. Almost half of pastors wanted to quit last year. But it's not just true in ministry jobs. It's true uh, across the board. Burnout has been going up at an alarming rate over the last decade, but especially since the pandemic. Teachers and healthcare care and, and everything were burnt out. It's gotten so bad that, that scientists and doctors have come up with a new condition. This, this is a real thing. It's called hurry sickness. This is diagnosable. Hurry sickness is defined as a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. That's a reality. We as a culture are ill. We live with such a needless sense of urgency that we put ourselves at risk. We risk exhaustion and burnout and hurry sickness. So many people, so many of us are driving around with smashed up windshields. And so the question is, what do we do about it? And the answer is actually shockingly simple. It's something that we've been commanded to do from the very beginning. It's something that God did from the very beginning. It's Sabbath. So let's go ahead and look at our scripture for tonight. Uh, It's from the first chapter, or the second chapter of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. This is the tail end of the creation story. Very first story in the Bible, and this is where we get. Let's read. This is Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he'd done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Because on it, God rested from all the work that He'd done in creation. Okay, if you open your Bible to the very first page, what do we see? God creates the universe, the heavens, and the earth, and everything in existence the sky, and the stars, and the land, and creatures of the air and sea, and He creates human beings. That takes six days. This guy's a fast worker. But what's he do on the seventh day? He rests. Genesis says he took this last day and he hallowed it. I love that word. He hallowed it. He made it sacred and holy. And he rested. And we call this Sabbath. And this is far from the only time that we see this in Scripture. God goes on later in the Old Testament to double down on Sabbath. You remember, Moses meets God uh, on, on Mount Sinai. And God gives him 10 commandments for the Israelites. But did you know that of all of the 10 commandments, only one gets an explanation? Only one gets a because. Most of them are straight directives. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. But only one gets explained. So let's see what God says to Moses in Exodus 20. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not, you shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. From the very beginning, we've been commanded to observe a day of rest. Why? Because God did. And yet, if we're, if we're being honest tonight, how much of Christendom actually does? The truth is, we have largely dismissed Sabbath. We don't really expect one another to, to, to practice a legitimate Sabbath, which is pretty wild because just imagine if we did this with any of the other Ten Commandments. Like what if we suddenly said, yeah, God said don't murder, don't, don't steal, don't lie, but like we don't really expect you to do all that. That would be a lot. Not murdering would be tough. Not lying or stealing, that's, we can't, we can't ask you to do that. Obviously, that would be crazy. And yet, we've done this with Sabbath without really a second thought. In 2023, we've put rest and Sabbath on the back burner. We don't consider it a fundamental part of of practicing our faith, but it is. And honestly, we need it now more than ever. Did you know that, that the average person before 1879, when the Edison light bulb was invented, slept 11 hours a night? Doesn't that sound so nice? <laughs> I have a new baby, so I'm just sounds so nice. 11 hours before the light bulb. Today, you're, you're pretty happy if you get, what, seven? You're feeling good? The point is, slowly but surely over time, we've, we've lost this. We've dismissed it. We, we've reduced the rest that we build into our lives. And here's, here's the great irony of Sabbath. When we build rest into our lives, when we actually utilize this gift that God has modeled for us and given to us, we actually find that we're more productive. I love the story of, of, of the two men who spent a full day chopping wood. The story goes that. That one man challenged another man to an all-day wood chopping contest. Sounds like a blast. But but the first man worked all day. Didn't stop. He grinded. He only stopped for for like a short lunch break. The second man, on the other hand, he had a a leisurely breakfast and lunch and dinner and, and he took several breaks throughout the day and he would go sit down whenever he wanted. Well, at the end of the day, When the competition was over, the first man who'd been going at it all day was shocked and frankly pretty annoyed to find out that he'd lost. The other man, the second man, had chopped way more wood than he did. So the first man went to the second and he said, I don't get it. Every time I looked over to your little wood chopping station, you were gone. You took way more rest than I did, yet somehow you chopped more wood. How how is that even possible? And the second man said, That's because every time I was resting, I was also sharpening my axe. Now, I love that little story. See, Sabbath, it's not a burden that slows us down. If we really want to be efficient, if we want to get things done, we also have to learn how to rest. We have to learn how to stop because, in doing so, we sharpen our axe. And this idea isn't just backed up by cheesy preacher stories like that. It's also supported by research and statistics. Research has shown that that after about 50 hours of work in a week, productivity plummets. There was a study that, that compared the output of people who logged 55 hours in a week and people who logged 75 hours in a week. And guess what? Totally the same, no difference. That, that extra 20 hours had no impact on their productivity. And if you do the math, that 50 to 55-hour mark, that's six nine-hour days, right? A normal work day, six days. Meaning that we can only work effectively for six days. We are literally designed for six days of work and one day of rest. We were built Sabbath. This isn't just like a good thing. We're designed for it. Here's another piece of research. This one is actually from the book, uh, and I really liked the way John Mark Homer put it, so I'm just going to read straight from the book. This is what he says. He said, recently, I read a survey done by a doctor who cited the happiest people on earth. Near the top of the list was a group of Christians called Seventh-day Adventists, who are religious literally about the Sabbath. This doctor noted that they lived 10 years longer than the average American. I did the math. If I Sabbath every seven days, it adds up to, wait for it, 10 years over a lifetime. Almost exactly. So when I say that Sabbath is life-giving, that's not empty rhetoric. If this study is to be believed, every day you Sabbath, you are statistically and scientifically likely to get back an elongated life. Isn't that insane? Ten years. Sabbath is literally life giving. So, if all of that is true, and if John Mark Comer is right, if if Sabbath truly is this powerful, if we truly are designed for it, how do we start taking it more seriously? How do we actually build it into our lives? What do we do? And I think the answer is in the word Sabbath itself. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop or to cease. But it also has a dual meaning. Shabbat can also mean delight. So Sabbath translated with both translations is to stop and to delight. And I love that. That's perfect. And that's our marching orders. That's exactly what we are called to do. We stop and delight. You know, when I got into ministry, I didn't realize that, that this would be one of the most common pieces of counsel that I give people. I don't really know what I thought would be. I don't know if I thought I was gonna, you know, wax on poetically about Ecclesiastes with people, which, which I realize now would just bore them to tears probably, but I don't really know what I thought it would be, but you know what it's been? It's been telling people to stop and delight and to rest. When I first started at White's Chapel, I I came straight out of undergrad and I worked in our our student ministry. And I got into this, this student ministry and I spent time with so many kids in our community who were constantly redlining. They played two sports and they played an instrument and they were in the finance club and the future lawyers and doctors and engineers of America. And I was like, you can't be a doctor and an engineer and a lawyer. You don't need to be in all of these. But they, 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 they had tutoring three times a week. And they had, uh, they, they, they had uh, responsibilities with four different Christian organizations they were in. They, they couldn't just come to youth group. And so often I would sit down with them and I would talk to them. And my, my counsel would, would be to just tell them to have fun. To just be kids. To stop and delight. I did, I did student ministry for a while and then I moved on to college and young adult ministry. And, and the same was true there. I spent so much time with, with 20-somethings and 30-somethings who were, were starting their careers... And they were searching for romantic partners and they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their lives and trying to figure out what they believed. And and I can't tell you how many times I sat down over coffee with someone who was just fried. And so often I I found myself, yet again, telling them to do some self-care, to stop and delight. And I see it in every premarital couple that I meet with. Whenever you get married uh, at White's Chapel, we have you take this assessment called Prepare and Enrich. And one of the things that the assessment measures is uh, your stress level. Well, unsurprisingly, most of the brides that I meet with report being super stressed out by all of the wedding details. And then most of the grooms I meet with report being super stressed out by the fact that their bride is super stressed out (laughs) about the wedding details. And again, I sit with them and I hear their story, and we walk through it all, and the council is the exact same. It's Sabbath. It's rest, It's, it's, it's stopping and delighting. They're about to get married. They're about to be, do this beautiful, amazing thing before God, and they're so stressed, they're in such a hurry. And look, I could go on to tell you about how I've seen this and shared the same idea with couples who, who have struggling marriages and people who have just experienced the loss of a loved one and retirees who are trying to figure out what's next. And I could tell you about how many times I have failed giving myself this advice. But the point is, we are a hurry-sick people and the medicine for our souls is stopping and delighting. Our medicine is Sabbath. And so the answer of how we do it is not all that novel. We just do it. We make space for it. We make it a priority. If, if I seem passionate about this, it's because I really am. Because on this side of ministry, I have seen this so much And if I could urge people to do one thing from this series, it it is to love yourself enough to accept this gift that God has commanded us to accept. It's to rest, to care about yourself and love yourself enough to do the thing that God did from the very beginning. And so here's my encouragement for all of us tonight. If you can't remember the last time that you practiced a real Sabbath, I would encourage you to find a day this week and do it. Maybe it's tomorrow for Mother's Day. Or maybe part of it is helping facilitate Sabbath for somebody else. So maybe it's making sure that all of the amazing moms in our lives do nothing but rest and stop and delight tomorrow. Or maybe it's next Saturday. Maybe this is something you build into your Saturdays. You know, the seventh day of the week. Maybe maybe you make a serious effort to build your Saturday in a way where where there is truly time to rest. Now, let me be clear. That That does not mean catching up on emails or mowing the lawn or dishes or laundry. That's not Sabbath. By definition, that's not Sabbath. The only thing we're allowed to do on Sabbath, the Bible is super clear about this, rest and worship. Those are the two things you are allowed to do on Sabbath. Those are the two things that make up Sabbath. And so if you're going to try it, don't don't do a bunch of chores. Relax. Have some fun. Come to worship. That's it. That's the agenda. Look, if, if we can learn to do as God did, to really hallow the seventh day of the week, then we will stop putting ourselves at risk. At risk of exhaustion and burnout and hurry sickness. We'll stop driving around with busted windshields and we'll find that our axes are sharper. It'll give us life. Our minds, our bodies, our souls will be better because of it. God took that seventh day And he rested. And then he commanded us to do the same. So let's not be in such a hurry and let's learn to stop and delight. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you so much for every person in this room and for all of the things that, that we get done in a week. God, we, we have responsibilities. We've got jobs and, and, and we, we know that the things have to be accomplished, but God, at the same time, help us to remember that though you worked for six days, you took one off. Lord, you modeled this for us God help us to give ourselves grace. If that's what we need to, to, to get over the hump and to start actually practicing a Sabbath, then help us to give ourselves grace. Help us to not equate rest with laziness. Help us to not equate rest with doing nothing of worth, because God it is of worth. Lord, we want to be the best versions of ourselves for you, for the people around us that we love, and so God, I pray every person in this room, every person streaming online would just do some self-care, that they would love themselves, that they would know you, you, you love them enough to give them a break, to let them rest. Lord, whatever's in the way, whatever's stopping us, eliminate it. Eliminate it so that we might eliminate ruthlessly. Hurry. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.